following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Oh God, our help in the ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. We ask, Father, that you would visit us by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning, that you would comfort us from your word, that you would heal our broken hearts. We love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, huh? Yeah, right. There have not been very many mornings in my life when I figured if I just stayed in bed, the day wouldn't happen. I tried that today and it didn't work. Um, I want very much to continue on, business as usual. I want to continue to do what is normal. But what is normal has clearly been upended. And we have to adjust to a new normal, a normal that I don't like, certainly not as much as the old normal. I've been uh, painfully yet powerfully reminded with Peggy's passing that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. So rather than just pressing on with our current study, I think it would be better to take some time to focus on the hope that Peg had. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we too can have that hope. Not just a wish or a dream, but a confident expectation. The kind of hope that is an anchor for our lives. So I would like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Page 961 in the Pew Bibles. First Corinthians 15, start of verse 1. I'm going to read a lot. Now I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the Twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain." 
On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom of God, kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I die every day. What do I gain, if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be, con do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. May God's blessing be on his word this morning. Now, because all of you know me, know how much I love three-point sermons, I'm going to give you three points. And I'll tell you what they are up front. Point number one, death is not deadly. Number two, be patient. And number three, don't waste your life. So let's look at these one thing at a time. We look at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those belong to Christ. Then comes the end, 
when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. I think that's worth reading on days like this. Paul had just finished up outlining the horrible misery that is ours if in fact the dead are not raised and if Christ is not raised. But since Christ has been raised, our hope is sure, our testimony is sure, and our faith is effective. So let's look at the theology behind it. In point number one, death is not deadly. Paul called Jesus the first fruits from uh, of those who have fallen asleep. In verse 20, uh, simply take that at face value, that Christ is the first fruit of the resurrection, that he's the first one to have been raised from the dead. Well, if you know your New Testament, you think, wait a minute, what about those other people? Jesus raised a little girl uh, from the dead. Remember that? She was dead. But she was uh, revived, not resurrected. She had the privilege, I guess, of dying twice. But Jesus only died once. And he is alive, never to die again. We have to remember that Paul is Jewish, and they used the word first fruits meant a great deal more to him than just the first thing. Jesus was raised from the dead on a feast, a Jewish feast. Do you know which one it was? Easter Sunday is also during a Jewish feast. It's the feast of first fruits. That's an interesting coincidence. The Jewish feast of first fruits was celebrated at the beginning of the barley harvest when the priest would take a sheaf of bar- barley and offer it as a wave offering before the Lord. I don't know if they wave like this or who knows. And the significance of a wave offering versus a burnt offering is that when the priest waved the first fruits of the barley harvest, it symbolized that the entire harvest belonged to the Lord and not just that sheaf. The burnt offering was the best of the herd or best of the flock without blemish. And a wave offering meant the whole thing belonged to the Lord, not just that one. And why is that significant? If Jesus Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, then those who have died that belong to Jesus will also be raised from the dead. His resurrection is a promise of our resurrection from the dead through faith in him. I want to quickly draw your attention to Paul's use of the term fallen asleep. And I don't bring that term to your attention so that we can talk about whether or not we are conscious or unconscious in the time between our death and resurrection. That's a talk for another day. I bring the term to your attention to remind you that for believers in Jesus, as Christians, natural death, like sleep, is temporary. As Calvin put it, for the Christian, death is not deadly. It's only temporary. Verse 21 says, 
For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Paul draws this great contrast between Adam and Christ. The theologians call Adam an antitype of Christ. That means he is not a type of Christ. He is the exact opposite of Christ. He is the complete opposite in order to illustrate what Christ is like. Because we are all descendants of Adam, we all inherited his sin nature and without the Lord's intervention, we all we would do is sin all the time. And that sin, both our sin nature and our sin by choice, earn death, permanent. For as in Adam, all die. And that's bad news. But the good news, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Those who are in Christ may experience death, but it is a temporary state of being. We shall be made alive at his coming, as it says in verse 23. Those who belong to Christ, that's what the word Christian means, one who is Christ's. Those who belong to Christ shall be made alive at his coming, and then comes the end. We think a lot about the trouble that we experience in our world today and think, well, the end must be near. Well, people have been saying that for 2,000 years. The end is coming, and that's good news for us and bad news for those that don't know Christ. Now, keep in mind that Paul's purpose here is not to give us a roadmap of end times prophecy so that we can mark our calendars. He simply makes it clear that no one will be resurrected until Christ returns. Then those who belong to him will be raised with him. So with that thought in mind, we move on to point two. Be patient. God has it all under control. So Jesus comes back, the dead in Christ will rise, and then it says, verse 24, then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. I had to read that a few times. That's a mouthful. The long and the short of it is, God has a list, and it's a bad list to be on. It's a list of his enemies, 
our enemies and he's going to crush them all off one by one. Satan is on that list. The demons are on that list. Sin is on that list. But the last one that will be crossed off is death. And death will be forever crossed off that list. Death itself will cease. God is at work putting all things under the subjection of Christ. Regardless of our perspective on things, God is still at work. The only one not being put under the subjection of Christ is God the Father. That's what all that meant. And when the work is done, the Son himself will subject himself to the Father so that God may be all in all. Isn't that beautiful? This, this life is hard. And we're going through severe trial. But take a step back and look. These soul-crushing trials that we're experiencing now are no different than the ones we suffered a year ago or two years ago or five years ago. What do they have in common? They're all past. And we're still here. The future that we have to look forward to is God wins. So, cheer up. (laughs) Be patient. The day is coming when death will be crossed off that list. And we don't have to crawl out this anymore. That brings us to our third point. I don't like this one. Don't waste your life. This life may not be the end, but that doesn't mean that we should just waste what time that we have. Verse 29 says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is fried, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And we're going to pause for Okay, first things first here. Baptism for the dead. How about that? We're going to have a baptism for the dead later on this afternoon? No, we're not. Paul is not endorsing this behavior. He's not saying this is what you should do. He makes that plain by saying people and not we. Why are people baptized on behalf of the dead? He does not say why are we baptized for the dead. And... Scripture makes it plain that baptism is not necessary for salvation. So being baptized on behalf of someone who has died accomplishes nothing but getting people wet. That, that would have been funny last week. 
sorry. Paul is simply stating that some people were denying their denial of the resurrection by their own behavior. They're saying there's no resurrection for the dead, but they're being baptized on behalf of people that have passed away. It's a good thing our behavior never contradicts our beliefs, isn't it? Paul also reiterates what he said back in verse 19. If in Christ we have hope or have hoped in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The danger that Paul and his team and all of the apostles faced daily would have been a complete waste if this life was it and there was nothing else to look forward to. I don't know why I get up early every Sunday morning to come here if this is it. There are snowmobile races on the other side of town. We could be there. Let's eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Paul quotes Isaiah twenty-two thirteen, saying that if this life is it and then it's over, then let's enjoy it while we have it, right? Let's live it up. Well, he gives you kind of a dope slap if you get drawn into that. He says in verse 33, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. These folks that Paul was writing to, some of them had uh, spent too much time listening to those who would turn them away from the faith, who would turn them away from the truth of Christ and his death and resurrection. They spent so much time with bad company that it ruined their good morals. Their good character was in danger of being ruined. So Paul says, wake up, you dopes. Stop sinning. Get rid of all that filth that has poisoned your minds and remember Jesus and his way. Still don't think that uh, guilt and shame are in the Christian's arsenal. <laughs> Paul pulls out the big guns to get the church back on track. They're wasting their times on things that wouldn't last. Here is how to not waste your life. Thomas Keeneth said, The greatest use of your life is to spend it on what will outlast it. I would add that the greatest use of your life is to spend it on what will outlast not just your life, but life itself. Spend it on what will last on into eternity. And what is that? It's people. It's souls. That's what Peggy spent her life on. God's eternal kingdom, the citizenship will only expand if the members of the kingdom invite others to join. Investing in things that will last beyond this life is investing in the souls of other people. Not just patting the nest while they're here, but making sure they're prepared for when this life is over and experience death, even if the state is temporary, So what are our three points? Death is not deadly. 
through faith in Jesus Christ, this life is not all there is. It stops for a while and then it gets better. Point number two, be patient. God has already won the victory. We're just waiting for the clock to run out. When the final bell rings, we will be reunited with Jesus and with those that we have lost that had faith in him. And number three, don't waste your life. Time is coming to a close. We don't know how many tomorrows we all have left. Let's make the best use of the time that we have left by working to expand his kingdom, sharing the gospel with people, and inviting other people to join God's eternal family. I'm not sure our sister Peg wanted to leave this life. But I do know that she was ready. Her faith in Jesus was sure. And her hope of eternal life with him was steadfast. Let's make sure ours is too. Amen? Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Not just wishful thinking that things are going to get better, but a confident expectation that through faith in you, we will be part of your eternal kingdom. Never to taste death again. Lord, days like this are hard. But we thank you that you are still on the throne. You have not been defeated. You are still in control. Lord, thank you for the reminder that death is just a temporary state of being. And through faith in you, even if we go through it once, we'll never have to go through it again. God, we pray for your comfort by your Holy Spirit. As our family mourns, I thank you that we do not mourn as those who do not have hope because we have hope in Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord. May you be glorified by your church even on these dark days. We we'll love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.